seated. So I titled this morning's message, How Do You Sleep at Night? So, any of you ever have trouble sleeping? I do, I do if I take too long a nap during the day. <laughs> it's about the only time I, you know, once, rarely I've had trouble sleeping, like some of you probably in times of pressure, but recently uh, I was sleeping quite soundly, and uh, all of a sudden Ginger started, she was laying beside me, she started going, oh, 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 oh. I thought, what in the world is going on? Because she never does anything like that. And I, I looked over and, and I still couldn't figure out what was going on. But she said, Jake is laying right on top of me. <laughs> so our 110-pound German Shepherd is literally laying right on top of Ginger. <laughs> and the reason he was doing that was because uh, there was a smoke alarm going off downstairs, and it was apparently hurting his ears. So he just. He came in the bedroom and jumped right up on top of Ginger, so she got that fixed. Usually, I don't have trouble sleeping. Maybe finances, maybe worry about a relationship, maybe pressure in your life. Maybe you just don't sleep very well. I One of the things that I think helps, I don't do this every night, but I do it frequently is I'll kneel down beside the bed before I get in bed. And I remember a number of years ago, there's a book by Louis Giglio called I Am Not, But I Know I Am. It's just a little book. It's a wonderful little book. And the way he talked about it, I I knew the concept, but the way he talked about it was so wonderful that uh, in, in Hebrew culture, the day begins at sunset for the next day. You might have known that. But if you think about it in regard to praying at night, it's like, Lord, I know that your day has already begun. My day won't begin until I get up in the morning, but your day has already begun. And so I pray that when I wake up in the morning, I know you're going to be at work all night while I'm sleeping. That's kind of reassuring, isn't it? You're going to be at work all night while I'm sleeping, and tomorrow I want to just get up and join you. That kind of helps you. You've got a head start on the day because God's gotten a head start on you. So look at this scripture on the screen, 1 Peter 3.12, and let's read it together. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. Let's say that again. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. So we know this intellectually. God is listening. God is watching. And God is at work. So let me just read to you Isaiah 41.10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Now, unlike uh, most most, uh, sermons, I'm not going to read the text this morning that we're going to study because it's a whole chapter, Acts chapter 12. So I encourage you to write down Acts chapter 12 and read that later because it's a, it's a tremendous story. So I'm going to tell the story of Acts chapter 12 this morning and emphasize some, some uh, concepts that are in that chapter. 
So the time context of Acts chapter 12 is 10 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, okay? Herod is mentioned in Acts chapter 12, and this Herod is the grandson of the Herod who ordered that all the babies be killed during the time of the birth of Christ. Remember there was a uh, edict that went out from Herod that all the babies under two would be killed because they, he heard that there was a king that had been born, so he wanted to get rid of that king. This is the grandson of that Herod. It's the nephew of the Herod who ordered the beheading of John the Baptist and the arrest of Jesus. So Herod was a, the, the local Jewish ruler. He ruled under Rome, which dominated the country, and so he served at their pleasure. So by the time we come to this chapter, persecution has broken out against the church. You remember early on that uh, 3,000 were saved on the day of Pentecost? Then, uh, then it talks about literally 20,000 people, if you, if you don't just count the men, were saved shortly after that. But now 10 years later, persecution has broken out in the church. And this chapter is in that context of, of persecution, as you'll see in just a moment. Now, uh, I was a little negligent on this. I didn't look up any statistics on persecution, but I, I hope that you know that Christians are being persecuted around the world today. They're particularly in Muslim nations, uh, in Indonesia and so forth. There are people who are dying for their faith every day. Every day people die for their faith in Christ. And even in our own culture, you can, see, you can see something happening that when I was a young person, I would have never imagined this happening in America. I mean, everybody wasn't a Christian when I was growing up, and certainly there was peer pressure among you know, friends uh, about Christianity. You, you a Christian, you know, or uh, they wouldn't make fun of the Bible or anything, but it was, wasn't popular to be a Christian. But now there's a, there's a change in our culture I'll just say it, primarily from college professors who are teaching our young people in universities about anti-God. Everything's anti-God, anti-God, anti-God. I saw on the news, I believe it was two days ago, where on a college campus, they're trying to get rid of Fellowship of Christian Athletes because they don't support the LBGT community. So when I heard that, I thought, now, we love gay people, right? We want to reach them for Jesus. I'm not talking about that. But isn't it interesting that if you don't support the LGBT community, then you're a bad person? And when that was being said, I thought, well, you're persecuting against us and accusing us of being persecuting you. I mean, neither one's appropriate, is it? But there's open peer pressure now against Christians, not just in that realm, but in many regards. Uh, it won't be long until churches lose their tax-exempt status because we don't support the LGBT community. So there's something happening in our culture that we, we would have thought, gosh, that would never happen in America, but it, but it, but it is happening. You can see the, see the beginnings of that. Uh, I read a quote by Attorney General William Barr the other day. Let me just read it to you. The problem is not that religion is being forced on others. The problem is that irreligion is being forced. Secular values are being forced on people of faith. And he, he said that so well. I, I, 
save that quote. So I want you to think not just about peer pressure in this text, but there's actual persecution that's taking place against the church. In fact, by this time, James, not James the brother of Jesus, that's the book of James, but James the brother of John, or the two that was the closest to Jesus, has been beheaded. I saw a painting of this in Spain a few years ago. He's been beheaded, and that's obviously the, you know, the ultimate. Uh, Stephen obviously was stoned to death. And now Peter, who is the subject of the text that we're looking at this morning, remember Peter's the one who drew his sword in the garden to defend Jesus, and a few minutes later followed at a distance, and then denied that he knew Jesus when they were around the fire while Jesus was being interrogated on the inside, and then was restored to relationship with Jesus. It's recorded in John chapter 21, where Jesus asked him three times, do you love me, Peter? Asked him three times, I believe, because he had denied him three times. And so he's restored to relationship with Jesus. Now James has been beheaded, and Peter is in jail. So I want you to, we really, really can't picture this very well for a joke. Have you got that picture of the Bannock Jail there? For a joke, I put that up there. It wasn't like that. <laughs> I didn't know Bannock existed, but that's the Bannock Jail in western, western Montana. It, was, it wasn't like that. It would have been a prison where they chained people. In fact, it says in, in Acts chapter 12 that Peter was chained between two soldiers. And there were two other soldiers that were close by also to guard him. So imagine this, Peter, one of the main disciples of Jesus, a leader in the church, is laying between two soldiers chained to them. How'd you like to be chained next to Peter? He'd probably give you a sermon or two, I bet. So he's chained there between two soldiers, and there are soldiers in shifts every hour of, of the day. So on your outline, fill up the blank there. What is Peter doing? He's living in trust. And the reason I say that is because Peter, when this text begins, Peter is sleeping. Now think about that. Peter is in prison, laying between two soldiers, chained to them, and he's sleeping. That's why I ask, you know, how do you sleep at night? How do you sleep at night? He doesn't know what's going to happen to him. He knows James has been killed. He could, be, he could be beheaded. In fact, that was probably part of the plan. He doesn't know what's going to happen to him. How can he sleep? Well, let's do it as written. Remember it is written? I say, this, I say the phrase, then you say the phrase. It is written. It is written. Ah, that's weak. It is written. It is written. In God whose word I praise... In God, I trust, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? It is written, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. One more. It is written. In repentance and rest, repentance and rest is, your is your salvation. In quietness and trust, quietness and trust is, your is your strength. 
maybe, I'm speculating of course, maybe Peter's able to sleep because of some of those truths that we have in the Old Testament. Maybe he was sleeping because he remembered when they're out in the middle of the lake and they're about to go under, Jesus was sleeping. Everything's okay. What is the church doing? The church is praying earnestly. Now, this is, this is why I selected this, this passage of Scripture in this series on prayer. Peter's in prison, and the church is having an intense prayer meeting. The prayer meeting is in the home of Mary, who is the mother of Mark, the gospel writer of Mark. A lot about him, but I won't go into that. And most people believe that the upper room was in the upstairs. It was an upstairs room in Mary's house. And they're having this earnest prayer meeting in Mary's house. So I want you to see, there's some, there's some uh, comic relief in all of this. I want you to see that the church is praying earnestly. Peter is in prison. That's the reason they're praying. So just ask yourself, what do you do when you're in trouble? Well, do we? Probably many of us do. Some of us worry. Some of us talk to other people. Some of us do everything we can. But notice the example that they give us of they were praying. I found this quote. I don't remember who said it. Prayer is, is to place your problem in the right hands. When something is out of your hands, put it in his. It's a pretty good idea. Okay, let's do it as written again. It is written. It is written. But Jesus often withdrew, Jesus often withdrew. To, lonely to lonely places and prayed. It is written. It is written. Be, joyful in hope, Be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction. Patient in affliction faithful in prayer. Faithful in prayer. It, is written, it is written. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions. With all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind. Be alert and always keep on praying. For all the saints. It is written. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you. In Christ Jesus. So notice, first of all, that Peter is living in trust. He's sleeping. Secondly, notice that the church is praying earnestly. And the third thing I want you to notice is that Peter followed. So here's a leader who's going to follow. So get the picture in your mind. Peter is laying between two soldiers, two Roman soldiers, and he's chained to them. And an angel appears. He's asleep, and an angel appears. Now, if you read a book about somebody saying an angel showed up, well, that was cool. Mm. Every place an angel shows up, people are afraid. So Peter's asleep. An angel shows up. There's a light in the room, and apparently Peter didn't wake up because of the light in the room because it uses this word interesting. It says the, the angel struck him. I thought that was peculiar. Wake up. Peter, wake up. And the chains fell off. He said, wake up. Now I'm speculating because I know they wear robes and sandals, okay? Wake up. Put on your pants. Grab your shoes and coat. Let's go. We got to get out of here. 
So Peter wakes up and he follows the angel out through the prison past the guards. It'd be interesting to know what the guards are doing right now. They might have been a little fearful at that point. So notice that this leader knows it's time to trust, it's time to pray, and it's time to follow. He's going to follow Jesus. And when he gets outside the prison, the angel is gone. Disappears as quickly as he showed up. Where does Peter go? To the prayer meeting. So he knocks on the door. And he knocks on the door, and he knocks on the door. Finally, Rhoda, a servant, comes to the door. And Peter identifies himself, and she said, What? It can't, that can't be you. And Peter says, It's me. So she, rather than opening the door and letting him in, she ran back in the house, and he's still standing outside. And she told everybody, Peter's here, Peter's here. Now, now imagine this. They're in the prayer meeting. Oh, Jesus, oh, Lord Get the chains off of Peter. Get him out of jail. Do a miracle supernaturally. Get him, minister on his behalf, Lord. And Rhoda says, Peter's here. And they said, oh, it can't be Peter. <laughs> can't be him. Must be his angel. It's literally what they said. Because in those days, they believed that everybody has an angel, and their angel looks like them. And they can appear. So that's what they thought it was Peter's angel. So isn't it interesting that Peter got out of prison, but he couldn't get in the prayer meeting? <laughs> That's one of the funniest stories in the Bible, I think. It shows our humanity, doesn't it? Finally, he got in. What are you doing here, Peter? Well, I thought, I thought you were praying for me, you know? <laughs> so this is encouraging in one respect, as you'll see as, as this story unfolds. So I ask the question, when you're in trouble, what can you do? Number one, we can trust. Peter trusted. He's sleeping in prison. He probably prayed, but it doesn't say that he prayed. He certainly wasn't praying when he was released. Others were praying. But he's trusting. He's asleep. He doesn't, he doesn't know his life could end, but he's, he's trusting. Interestingly, when Paul was in prison much later than this, these are the words that he wrote in prison. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So how do you sleep at night? He's, he's sleeping. Paul is sleeping because he trusts. Peter is sleeping because he trusts. Now, <clears throat> we, all, we all worry at times. I mean, let's, let's be honest about it. And we worry probably because we don't trust. We're, we're going by what's around us or what we feel or think rather than trusting in the Lord. Uh, with me, when big things come up, I tend, I tend to dig in and and be more godly, if you will. <coughs> little things, I get irritated. And my kids could tell you. Little, little stuff, I, I get cranky and chippy and short. Big stuff, I sit down, okay, let's, let's, let's talk. Let's, let's pray about this. Let's think this through with, with the big stuff. But we're all a little bit different. 
But Joseph, if you know me at all, you know that Joseph, Old Testament Joseph, is one of my favorite characters in the Bible because uh, God was with Joseph wherever he was. He was thrown in a pit by his brothers, betrayed by his family. He was made the made the uh, administrator of the house of the captain of the guard, the head of the secret service for us. He was thrown in prison for doing the wrong, for doing the right thing, and then he was made prime minister of Egypt. So he went through all these tough times, but in every case it says the Lord was with Joseph. He trusted him. He did the right thing, even when he knew that he'd be punished for doing the right thing. So number one, we can trust. And I just want to emphasize that point. Can we trust the Lord? Are we ever going to have hard times? Of course we are. Are we going to have our, our, our prayer not answered? Of course we're not going to have our prayer answered the way we want it every time. But can we trust the Lord? We have so many examples throughout the scriptures and people probably in our own lives. Secondly, we can pray. And <clears throat> the prayer part of this is, is sort of funny, but it's also encouraging. The angel fetched Peter out of prison, but it was prayer that fetched the angel. I like that. I like that. Colossians 4.2, Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. So, you know, no guilt trip. I'm sure you all pray. But are we devoted to prayer? Do we, do we really take it seriously? And one of the reasons we're praying on Wednesday night, for the prayed last Wednesday night, and prayed for the next three weeks on Wednesday night from 6.30 to 7.30, is because we want to devote ourselves to prayer. And I, I hope you'll join us for that. We had a great time last, last Wednesday night. And it has to do with what is seen and what is unseen. We can see what's going on around us, but there's this other world of the unseen. And my favorite example of that is in, is in 2 Kings where Elisha is surrounded by the king of Aram and his army and they can see all these chariots and horses and soldiers. And the servant of Elisha is terrified by this. And so Elijah, this is what Elijah the prophet did. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes so he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. That's the realm of the unseen. Gosh, wouldn't it be cool if we could see? Because we, we do know that there are angels that are assigned to us. Wouldn't it be cool if we could get a glimpse into that other realm I bet it would help us trust more, wouldn't it? I've never seen an angel literally, physically. I, only way I know says I almost saw one one time. We were in a room praying, and, and up in the corner of the room, there was, a, there was a presence there, and he was huge. I didn't physically see him, but I, I don't know how to describe it. He was there. I know it was an angel. Oh, if we could just get a glimpse into that room, we would trust him more. Secondly, we can, or thirdly, we can follow. We can, we can trust, we can pray, and we can, thirdly, we can follow. Peter followed the angel out of the jail. He was astonished when the angel showed up. He was astonished at what God did. Uh, part of the encouragement of that is that 
Peter is sleeping. The people are praying. But they were surprised when Peter got out of jail. Does that encourage you at all? It does me. In other words, it's not all on us. We're responsible to pray. We're responsible to trust as best we can. But they were astonished when God answered their prayer. Look what God did. We can follow. And fourthly, we can give credit where credit is due. We can give credit where credit is due. I may have said this to one service. I don't think I said it to both services, but I tell pastors this all the time. Get over yourself. And I don't, I don't mean that in a, in, a, in a mean way, but sometimes we think it's all up to us. And so many times, you've seen this in your life where somebody starts getting too big for their britches. And uh, it, that usually just doesn't work out very well. And a, f a couple of weeks ago when I was doing Cliff Potts' funeral, uh, I don't use the word hero lightly. But I, I referred to Cliff Potts, for those of you who don't know him, he was a man who was in a wheelchair for 63 years of his life, had polio. He was a painter, he was a writer, he got his master's degree in counseling. He, he was just a prince of a man and had a great influence on a lot of people. And so I referred to him as a hero and I kind of hesitated to share this, but I, I want to make a point. Somebody wrote an email to me that week and said, you're also a hero to many of us. And instantly I wrote back and I said, no, I'm a really ordinary guy that God's been really nice to. Don't ever forget that. It's all about grace. None of us deserve anything that we have this good. And I, I'm glad God's nice to me. But, but I, know, I know that it was him being nice to me, not me, because I know me. I know what I was, I know what I'm capable of, and so do you. So this passage to me encourages us about God's faithfulness. Now, I know we're supposed to have faith when we pray, but apparently they didn't. <laughs> they were shocked. Peter was shocked. He was sleeping. He was astonished when he was out of jail. It's all about grace. But what we can do is we can trust, we can pray, we can follow what the Lord does, and we can give credit where credit is due. So bow your heads and close your eyes with me for just a minute, if you would, please. So I'm just going to ask you this morning, what are you facing? If we'd give opportunity, I bet everybody in this room could tell something that they're facing in their life right now. Some of you I know, and I know what you're facing. And certainly we don't want to minimize any of that. We face tough stuff in this world. But could I just encourage you this morning, trust, trust. Do our circumstances always change? No, but we can trust. We can talk to the Lord. Will he change our circumstances? He might, he might not. There are examples of both. But certainly if we're going to walk through something, we want to walk through it with him, not without him, so we can pray. Thirdly, we can follow. Is the Lord 
leading you to do anything in the midst of what you're facing. And then always be faithful to, to give thanks. This is the season of giving thanks. Give credit where credit is due. And if we can do those four things, we can lay our head on our pillow at night and sleep. I want to just ask while your heads are about if there's anybody this morning that hasn't yet said yes to Jesus.